0: Someone asked me, you didn't tell us what consequences to use with Billy. (laughs) Well, let me just suggest, because they're so so insignificant in some ways, but they are important to, to underscore the more the deeper spiritual consequences. I think Billy better come and help mom make breakfast for a while. Get him up a half an hour earlier <laughs> and have him come and participate in preparing breakfast. I think he'll complain less. But um, also maybe, maybe Billy needs to start doing laundry occasionally so that that favorite shirt uh, is accessible to him. And of course He needs to use his birthday money to replace his sister's broken mirror. So I hope that helps with some ideas for consequences. I wanna talk to you uh, for this time uh, about broken relationships with teenage and even adult children. After seminars, many heartbroken people come to us, parents, and say, it's too late we lost control years ago it's too late to shepherd our children and of course I want to encourage you that it's not too late it's always God's work of grace that subdues rebellious hearts it's not our works and it's not our children's works we certainly want to nurture our children in godly ways but neither our our successes nor our failures parenting are the deciding factor in our children's response to God. There are many reasons why children rebel. Many reasons why children rebel. But the most common reason for broken relationships between parents and children, regardless of their age, may surprise you. Parents unwittingly mix their Christian parenting with ungodly motives and responses to their children. And that creates an, an atmosphere in which rebellion can grow. Here's the problem. We want to be good Christian parents. But perhaps we didn't have good models when we were growing up. Or perhaps we've really worked hard to use biblical parenting methods, we've read the books, we've gone to the seminars, but they have been corrupted. Those biblical methods have been corrupted with our anger, our selfish motives, perhaps laziness because it's such hard work. Or our inconsistency, you know, one day we're spot on, but the next day the same thing just doesn't seem that important. Or perhaps we've used worldly behaviorism. Or perhaps we've been authoritarian and and legalistic in our approach to our children because we feel this desperate need to keep control of things in our home. Perhaps we've manipulated our children with guilt or fear or bribed them with prizes and promises. As I said before, these methods are all very, very powerful motivators, but they all deny the gospel, and they cause resentment to grow in the hearts of our children. How can we soften hearts that have become hard? Because that's what's happened. Our children's hearts have become hardened toward us and toward our Christian faith. It's only a process of what I call disarming rebellion that we can be reconciled to our teens and our adult children when we have broken relationships. And what I'm doing now is just giving you really an overview and a brief outline of what's in the book, It's Not Too Late. Children come to feel justified in their resistance and rebellion to ungodly methods of correction and discipline. Parents tell their children that the gospel is the only help for the sin that they're struggling with. And that's good theology. The gospel is our only remedy. But when we use behavioristic manipulation with our children then the hope and the grace of the gospel are missing. And so children become armed against, kind of picture them with weapons, they become armed against this double standard. And they increasingly resist us and our message. So the question is, how do we disarm their resistance? We're tempted to think that our children's rebellion rests solely on their shoulders. Their rebellion is their fault. But disarming rebellion doesn't start with our children. It starts with us. It has to start with us. How can we disarm this sense of justification our children have against our spiritual leadership we have to begin, I think, by rethinking two essential items of our own personal theology. First, think clearly about your own view of God's instruction and discipline of you as his child. How often have you felt that God must be angry with you, that he might not be able to accept you back yet again after you have failed? That's what we're tempted to think. But that's not what God is like. Hebrews 12 describes God's response to our sin. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Listen to this. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. That's truth. God's discipline is loving mercy. We must believe that ourselves. And we must purpose to have our daily life exude that hope before our children in their struggles with sin. We have to focus on redemption. God uses his word to convict us in order to show us our sin. Why? So that we can take our vision off of ourselves and put it on the cross. We must do that for our children too. I think sometimes we're convicted of sin and we just stay there in the slough of despond and feel badly feel sorry for ourselves beat ourselves up as if somehow that's going to help and of course it doesn't we need to we need to look at the cross take our eyes off of ourselves and remember what God's purpose is even in his chastisement of his children secondly remember that you are a tangible representative of the unseen God for your children harsh legalistic manipulative and ungracious treatment from us causes our teens to resist God and God's authority. They will also resist our discipline and instruction of them as agents of this God. Here's why. Children attribute to God the treatment they receive from their parents. You know why? Children imitate their parents. Our children see us as imitators of God. And so when they, when they experience treatment from us, they attribute that to God. They believe that's what God's character is like. Oh, if we could only remember that every time we're tempted to allow angry words to escape our lips. We give God a reputation. We need to make spiritual preparation for reconciliation. And this is where I'm going to spend most of our time because it's really foundational to the uh, practical preparation uh, for reconciliation. The disarming process is a spiritual endeavor. This isn't 10 easy steps to anything. It's a spiritual endeavor. Just as our brother said in the last hour, our spiritual person is at the core of everything else. Reconciliation is spiritually motivated and spiritually enabled. Reconciliation is a big step. It must not be taken lightly or insincerely. Spiritual preparation is the first step in God's process for reconciliation in any broken relationship. It brings cleansing to our soul and it keeps us from giving even more ammunition to a child who is already well armed against us. When parents and adolescents or teens are at war, An adversarial relationship has taken the place of meaningful relationship. And our job as parents or authorities or in any relationship, our job is to break that cycle of rebellion. This process of reconciliation has to be a settled, conviction for you. If God's Spirit doesn't convict you that the things I'm talking about today are true, then all of my words will mean nothing when you're confronted with a rebellious teen or an angry adult child. You must believe that this is the path that God has marked out for you in your relationship with your child. Rick, reconciliation must be fueled by heartfelt spiritual zeal for your own personal growth and grace and a true desire for the well-being of your child. If you think about it that is the complete antithesis of the way people look at broken relationships. People uh, confronted with broken relationships want to tell someone off. They want to get it off their chest. They want to let them know how they've been hurt. You see, this is a completely different change. It's because it's God's way and not man's way. Spiritual preparation for reconciliation with our rebellious children, regardless of the age, of their age, must start with a humble servant's heart because all rebellion at its core ten all rebellion at its heart is rebellion against God the people and circumstances in our lives become the occasion to justify our rebellion but it's God's law that is broken in rebellion and that's true of everyone when parents take their children's rebellion personally We get in the way of the child's real adversary in their rebellion. Their real adversary is not us, it's God. This immediately short-circuits the reconciliation process. When we get in the way with our hurts, and our uh, defensiveness and everything we want to get off of our chest, we get in the way of their true adversary. We have to get out of the way so that their real dilemma can be addressed. Our hurt, our indignation about their disrespect, while it's real and it's painful, they're not the big issue. When we personalize rebellion, we make it about us rather than about God. We must be committed to God's agenda rather than preserving our own feelings if we're going to benefit our child and proceed with reconciliation. So first, we must give up previous defenses. Humility is the heart of reconciliation. Seek to understand how your struggles and how your own sin have contributed to the rebellion of your child. Reconciliation requires giving up defenses and justification. Listen to this: even if they're true, even if your sense, of your def- the, your defenses and your good intentions—if all those things are true—you've got to let them go. I have talked to scores of parents who have said, "But, but, but," and I say it doesn't matter. We can pray that the day will come when you can talk about the ways your child may have misunderstood or misrepresented your good intentions. But you have to start with a heart of humility that gives up all the past offenses. Let me suggest this, leave them at the cross. That's a good place for them. Humility is at the heart of reconciliation. Disarming is most powerful as parents learn how they prepare the soil of their child's heart for resistance. Consider these possibilities, and this is only suggestive. The controlling parent, the parent who feels like I've got to keep control of what's going on in my house, They don't consider the strengths and weaknesses and preferences, fears and desires of their child. And it leaves the child feeling overwhelmed and bullied and so the child resists. The angry parent doesn't consider how their lack of restraint with their words and their temper may result in everything from fear to a desire for revenge in the child. The pathetic parent plays on the emotions of their child, leaving the child prone to emotional weaknesses or hardening them to compassion for others. And depending on the, on the, uh, um, the way the child is wired, their personality, it will do one of the others. If, if a parent is angry or uses em, uh, emotions to get to their child, the child will either withdraw or they will resist. The manipulative parent uses rewards and punishments to motivate their child, sometimes even referencing God's law as their standard. And this either creates a Pharisee because children who want to look good, they will obey the law on the outside. They will be the good Pharisee. They will behave out of self-interest or it will produce a cynic who learns to play the system. That was me as a child. I'm a PK. I knew what was expected of me. And I was told often enough, you're going to ruin your father's ministry by wonderful, God-fearing, God-loving parents. But that's the way you kept kids in check in the 40s and 50s. (laughs) And I learned to play the part. And it was all exterior. None of it touched my heart. The threatening parent uses fear to motivate, leaving the child a captive to the fear of man, or the other side of the coin, the desire for the approval of man. Now, those are only suggestive, but I want to encourage you to seek God just as David did in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray and ask God to uh, help you identify what are the ways that you may have inadvertently wielded your parenting style to the detriment of your children. None of this is to say that you did everything wrong but acknowledging our failures is much more disarming than defending our successes. I'm going to say that again. We need to hear this. Acknowledging our failures is much more disarming, much more powerful than defending our successes. This is the case in parenting just as in marriage or any relationship next pray spiritual preparation is heavy on prayer but what do we pray for oh I wish I had time to talk to you about each one of these I'm just going to name them if you're interested they're uh, much more thoroughly discussed in it's not too late pray for forgiveness pray for God's forgiveness is our, our starting place if we are to disarm rebellion We must confess the ways we have had alliances with the world in our child-rearing methods, even if it was out of ignorance. We must ask God for forgiveness, and we must ask our offended children for forgiveness. We need to humble ourselves in the repentance process, in doing so we disarm our children, our teens, and even our adult children. Removing our offenses clears the path for God to bring conviction to our children regarding their sin. And in time, as children realize that parents really are striving to understand their part in the relationship breakdown, teens, and and I know this is true even of adults, They begin to put down their weapons. But only taking away their armament will open the way for renewed relationship. Pray that you will model the humility of Christ. Christ humbled himself. He made himself nothing. Philippians 2. He made himself nothing for you and me. The king of the universe humbled himself. Why? To be reconciled you and me reconciliation and healing in your relationship with your rebellious child will always be humbling but God has promised us hasn't he in his word that he brings beauty from ashes and sometimes we need to be ashes pray for your spouse well, we could spend a lot of time there (laughs) because you wanna both be on the same page. If there's a spouse in the picture with this uh, broken relationship, you need to be on the same page. Pray for your child. Pray that you will have the heart of a peacemaker. Pray that you will have a will to listen. Pray that you will not give way to fear. I'm, I'm gonna go back to pray that you will have a will to listen and just say, this is so hard to do. We want to be people of understanding who learn how to, as painful as it is to hear, we want to learn how to help our children to express the things that we have said and done that have hurt them, that have created the uh, soil for rebellion. Pray that you will not give way to fear. Fear is a powerful motivator. We need to have the confidence of Psalm 46. I love this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. He's there to help us in this reconciliation promise. The next words are pow- powerful. Since God is who he says he is, therefore, do not fear. Pray that you will not give way to fear. And then pray that you will love As you have been loved. Oh, this is so important. Love your rebellious child as you were loved by your Heavenly Father while you were yet in your sins. You know the scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There, and this you want to know what God's love is like what it is to love like God loves first John 4 tells us beloved let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves and has been born of God and knows God beloved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another we love because he first loved us love as you have been loved. Pray that God will give you grace to do that. Next, practical preparation for reconciliation. There are practical considerations as well. We've spent a lot of time on spiritual preparation because it's so important to be prepared internally when our hearts, when the soil of our hearts has been plowed up by God's word and his spirit and we've been able to humble ourselves and draw near to God and know that ability to remain quiet in his presence and also quiet as we interact with our children, giving them an opportunity to express their struggles with us. As we we have done that work, we've prepared well for the practical reconciliation. Otherwise, if we don't do that, we go into conversation with our guns blazing. You know it's true. You say, boy, I'm going to have a talk with my child. And you have good intentions. But you don't go into it spiritually prepared. And before long, you know that the words that are coming out of your mouth are destructive words. They're words, in, in, in the words of Proverbs, that wound like a sword. They're not healing words. We haven't prepared our hearts or our mouths for this important work. Good preparation will enable you, by God's grace, to have profitable conversations with your children. I'm going to just, in outline and give you some uh, practical guidelines. Schedule time that is not hurried by your responsibility or your teen's or adult child schedule. Uh, spiritual issues don't respond well to time pressure. <laughs> That's all I can say there. Have a setting. Have the setting be as relaxed as possible. Be sure the other children are out of the way and your teen's favorite uh, snack wouldn't hurt. Don't spring the conversation on your, ch- on your child. Teens are not moved to, heart by, to heart-to-heart conversations on a schedule. You know, sometimes you want to talk to them at seven o'clock at night. They're not ready to talk at seven at midnight they're ready and you're propping your eyes open trying to stay awake to have this conversation. So don't spring the conversation on your child. Try to prepare well for that. Be sure where your spouse is involved that you've discussed the content of your conversation beforehand and you're on the same page. It's good to recognize that one conversation will not disarm. Reconciliation is not an event. It's a process it will take ongoing conversations don't try to do it all the first time you will overwhelm your child and you will ensure that he never wants to go through that again now it's time to talk i'm sorry to go through these so quickly but i hope it will give you a taste for what you will find in it's not too late it's time to talk parental talks must always have a quality of love and mercy even when it's bringing discipline and correction isn't that how god deals with us that's what we all already looked at in hebrews even in the midst of chastisement our heavenly father is always dispensing liberally his love and affection and his provision for us. We want to do the same for our children. Be quick to genuinely seek forgiveness when you fall into old patterns of conversation. If you find yourself starting to raise your voice or you know the veins are sticking out in your neck and you're feeling intense, it's time to say, oh, I'm sorry. I was going the wrong direction with us. Let's get turned around. Stop and pray and start over. New ways of talking. Begin your conversation by assuring your child of your desire by God's grace to learn new ways of interaction that will not foster strife, but understanding between you. Acknowledge your sin and failure, any that you're aware of. If you think you know ways that your attitude or speech or behavior has contributed to Uh, your child's resistance acknowledge it identify your mistakes and why they're wrong you're also if you do that you're also modeling for your child an understanding of what it means to acknowledge and ask forgiveness you're being a good model so acknowledge your sin then next ask for forgiveness for your known sins and failures if there are things that you know as you look back and the Lord has given you in prayer insight into ways that you have used any of these methods of uh, uh, discipline on your children, uh, acknowledge those things. Then you can give your, uh, your teen or your adult child even an opportunity to respond uh, to their assessment of your failures. Perhaps there are things you've missed and they, they uh, well, you can ask them to make those known to you. Next, give your child time to digest everything that you've said. This may require setting another time. You may, in, in a first conversation, you may only have time to get out your acknowledgement of your failures and your deep desire to have your relationship healed. And you may need to set another time. Don't hurry the process. Be patient with the process. Set parameters for your child's uh, response. This isn't a free-for-all. When you get together with your child, it isn't a free-for-all. Some kids are afraid to say anything. and You have to ask questions to draw them out. Other kids, or even young adults, uh, if you give them the opportunity to tell you how you've wronged them, they'll let you have it with both barrels. And so you may need to set some parameters. And you can, you can uh, say to them, uh, I'll, I'll help you to understand the difference between expressing your feelings in legitimate ways and disrespect as we talk and, and we'll interact about that. And uh, so we want to set parameters for his responses. Know when to stop. Your teen will give you hints about his tolerance to go on. As I said, if in your first conversation you only get as far as acknowledging your complicity in the breakdown, that's enough. If your teen is responding with crying or nervousness or anger and hostility, or they're fidgeting and unresponsive, it's time to take a break. It's time for you to say, "Uh, you know what, Uh, we'll talk another time. But here are some things to consider while you're ending that conversation. Leave your child with a biblical view of parenting, a picture of shepherding. You've turned the tables on your kid here. I don't care if they're 16 or 26. (laughs) You've changed everything. Rather than arguing and back and forth and brokenness, you're striving to do something very, very different. You've turned the tables. You need to tell him you have a new vision for your relationship. Tell him that you want to shepherd him in the same way Christ has shepherded you. Isn't that what happened? Christ came alongside to share in our humanity. He didn't have to come to earth. He could have stayed in heaven and said, hey, you down there, get your act together. But he didn't do that. He suffered all limitations and temptations that you and I experienced. Why did he do that? He was modeling for us. He came to see the world through our eyes so that we would know and believe that he is our brother in every way. And that he is indeed a merciful and faithful high priest in service to to God. Having been tempted in every way, just like we are, he is able to be our hiding place, our shelter, a place into which we can run When we're struggling with temptation that's what we want to be like for our children if you think about it that's what's behind philippians 2 have this same mind in you that was in christ he made himself nothing and became obedient to death even death on the cross leave your child with a biblical Picture of shepherding. Next, tell your child what you expect of him. You may see specific patterns of rebellion that must be addressed while the process of disarming is going forward. Reconciliation in this process doesn't mean that we're going to allow our rebellious child to either figuratively or literally take down our house. We need to present our expectations as standards that we insist on for God's glory and for his good. Next, tell your child what he may expect from you. Describe the consequences he may bring on himself as a result of the choices that he's made. It's really the sowing and reaping that we've already talked about that Paul describes in in Galatians chapter six. We don't bring those to threaten him, but to remind him that he lives in a world where God has established consequences. And he said, if you live in this way, it will go well for you. If you live in this way, it will not go well for you. So God has established those standards for his glory and for our good. Next, close the conversation with encouraging words. We're tempted to say, you brought this on yourself. Rather, we want to say something like this. Well, I think we've accomplished a lot here today. I hope this will be a start for me to truly understand your needs and struggles in ways that will build a good relationship between us. That's what I want. Let's pray and ask God to bless our efforts. Next, pray for your child in your child's presence. Pray confidently for your own change and for your growth because of Christ's enablement. And pray for your child's tenderness toward God and Christ. Pray that these efforts will heal and reclaim your broken relationship. Next, don't be discouraged. Remember, this conversation is part of a process, not an event. And remember Galatians 6, verses seven to nine, it ends like this. Do not grow weary in doing what is good, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. This work is not in vain. If nothing else, you have cleansed your own heart. (laughs) Next, genuine relationship is more than discipline. As you undertake this disarming process, be sure that you make big strides in spending relationship building time with your teens that has nothing to do with their rebellion. Spend time with them, go places, do things, enjoy one another's company during this process. Then set a uh, time for the next conversation. Allow a couple of days or a week for adult children who aren't living at home. And by the way, it's not too late. There are lots of conversation starters and thoughts for not only your teens at home, but for kids who have already left home or adult children who, as our brother said, are still living at home. How do you tackle that sensitive subject? Uh, Set a time for the next conversation. It's heavy stuff. For your, for your child regardless of their age, but God is able to make your humble obedience to his truth effective and productive in your relationship. The last question is what if all my efforts to disarm rebellion fail? What if my child continues in his rebellion even after I've toiled in this disarming process? What if this child is now an adult and has already fled my home? We must remind ourselves that it's God's spirit that brings change, not our efforts. So we continue to live genuine and humble Christian faith before our children. Surround all your expectations with the beauty, grace, love, compassion, and understanding that Christ has offered to you not only when you came to faith initially that's wonderful enough but he extends that same quality of love to you day in and day out as you struggle with sin your rebellious child should see in your face and hear in your voice the same welcome that Christ extends to you when you stumble We have this wonderful verse, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me for I'm meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. You're never at a place where your work has been in vain. Believe God's promises. I'm not denying for a moment the heartache and sense of loss that tends broken relationships with our children. But despair is the product of unbelief. We must remind ourselves that it is God's spirit that brings change, not our efforts. Embrace the trial because it's God's purpose for you. And it takes you to God. Don't think, how can I fix my rebellious kid? Rather think, how is God fixing me? in this trial how is he using the people and circumstances in my life to make me more like christ so i can be like christ for my children i know this has been tough teaching and we've packed a lot into a short time it's hard to acknowledge our complicity in the relation in relationship breakdowns with our children It's hard to repent without defending and justifying our good intentions and our honorable sacrifices. It's hard to confront rebellion with Christ-like humility and love. So where do we find the resources needed to undertake this ministry of reconciliation? Oh, I go time and time again to 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires you see brothers and sisters when we're confronted with rebellious teens broken relationships with teens and adult children we have in Christ everything we need to prepare spiritually and to pursue reconciliation with our children let's pray Lord we thank you for your word And we thank you that no matter where we look in Scripture we see not only our brothers and sisters uh, from the Old Testament and New Testament struggling and finding you as we must but we see our Lord Jesus Christ the most perfect example of everything we are called to he has already been for us oh Lord help us to find him in these difficult circumstances, and help us by your grace and by your spirit to flee the, to the cross, there to lay our weary, hurting hearts down, and to gather up all of the enablement that we have in Christ to do the hard work of reconciliation. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.